Catholic commentary. Spiritual warfare. Stay ready so you don't have to get ready. Jesus 911. Good morning, Jesus 911. Tuesday in Passion Week. Jesus 911 as. We've got Ruben and Jesse, and we're going to be giving you some. Uh, we're going to be talking about some canon law um, and uh, what makes a, a vast a mass invalid. And uh, Jesse, it's good morning. Good morning. It looks like you're in some bunker somewhere. <laughs> I'm in a bunker here in uh, in Silvis, Illinois, uh, doing a parish mission for a couple of nights, Eng- three nights in English, two nights in Spanish, and uh, it's, it's good to be back on the show, Ruben. You know, the topic today is a topic that we generally get in emails or people in conversation. They'll always come up and ask, hey, I heard the priest do this. Doesn't that make the mass invalid? Hey, I saw this happen. Doesn't it make it invalid? So we went to canon law, and we're going to let canon lawyers answer this question because I think sometimes too many people, and I get it, the mass is the highest form of prayer. It comes to us from the Last Supper from Christ. And so we want to get, we want to be precise. I get that. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. But I think some people get over scrupulous just because the priest is in mortal sin or he missed a say he missed a word here and there uh, that's that has nothing to do with the consecration. Maybe he admitted the Lord have mercy and people walk on saying, I wonder if I went to mass. I wonder what I went to mass. So we're going to try to dispel those rumors, Ruben, by this uh, article, by this canon lawyer. Then we'll make our own comments as we go through it. How's that? Sounds good. That sounds so there, good. there's two questions that people will ask. One question is here's one from Catherine. My book study group started talking about what constitutes a valid mass. One person is under the impression that as long as the consecration is completed properly, the mass would be valid. Another person suggested that even if a part of the order of the mass is omitted or all the words are not said correctly, mass is valid as long as intent was pure in the celebrant. So could you please help clarify? That's a good question. And here's the second question. I have a question that I think you have not answered already. During Mass yesterday, the priest, instead of using the Gloria, used angels we have heard on high. Does this make the Mass invalid? Great question. So let's jump right into the answers, Ruben, from a canon lawyer. Yeah, yeah, not not good, but uh, let's see what the, the canon lawyer says. It is a sad fact of life these days that liturgical irregularities of all kinds occur far too frequently during the celebration of Mass. Needless to say, de- deliberately failing to follow the mass rubrics correctly is never okay. But when does, a, but when does a liturgical abuse cause a mass to actually be invalid? And we've all seen shenanigans going on at mass. That's a, look, look at the, the last fifty years. There's probably not one of you that's listening to the show hasn't said something that you scratched your head about and said, "Man, why?" Ruben, that? I scratched my head over in your diocese where you're from, at, in the Cathedral of Riverside. The bishop there, it was a while back ago, you can watch it on YouTube, but they brought in an, an indigenous Indian who was waving feathers uh, before mass. And uh, even he was he was allowed to give the, the he was allowed to go to the lectern, the ambo, and also do some type of indigenous incantation. So, I mean, it's 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 all around us, Ruben. We've all seen it. It's on YouTube. I mean, we're not making this stuff up. Yeah, you're right. And uh I mean, I've, I've, I had a, a priest down in San Diego during the consecration telling us we need to stand up. I was kneeling down and we don't stand at this. 
you know, we don't stand for the for this. I mean, we don't kneel for this. The Pope doesn't kneel. I go, are you kidding me? I I, I was crying actually. I just I I stayed down. I was I was just so uh, hurt for our Lord, and uh, everybody yeah. was standing up around me, and I I just I said, I'm kneeling. <laughs> I'm not getting up. You probably had a hundred eyes on you, Ruben. You probably felt like you had arrows in your back. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's okay. I'm willing to kneel for our Lord. That's what... Amen. All right. Okay. Go ahead. Okay. So in marriage annulment, that's uh, see the the canon lawyer puts out different talks, and so you can when you go to the uh, show page, you can click on this article. It'll lead you to other articles and. In another previous article, Marriage and Annulment, we saw that the term validity refers to whether or not the external administration of a sacrament actually has spiritual effect. So as a, as a Catholic, sacramental theology has taught for centuries, sacramental validity requires A, the correct formula of words, B, the correct matter, and C, the right intention on the part of the minister of the sacrament who has the authority to administer it. A problem with any of these three elements can invalidate a sacrament meaning that it may have appeared that a sacrament was being administered to those who were present, but in reality, no sacrament was conferred at all. Like the case in Phoenix, the priest, the Mexican priest that they had here that just got, basically he resigned. Mm -hmm. Uh, He'd been doing invalid baptisms because what he lacked here, of what you read, was number A, the correct formula of words. He was baptizing. He would say, we baptize instead of I baptize. Mm -hmm. And so that's what invalidated the sacrament here. And he may, he may, it's a, it's a nightmare what's happening in the diocese. They've had to hire people full time to call up everybody who's been baptized by him. And that's, uh, some people are dead, Ruben. Oh, yeah. Think about it. The article says here in this space, we've seen many examples of sacraments being administered invalidly in inclusive language and baptismal validity. For example, we looked at a situation in which the sacrament of baptism was validly, invalidly administered because the minister used a formula of words which was not correct. We saw an instance of invalidity caused by the failure of a minister of the sacrament to have the requisite intention in can you marry validly while intoxicated. And the Eucharist and sacramental validity, part one, addressed the case where using the upper, the improper matter would invalidate a sacrament, a case which happens to be relevant to the issue at hand. Yeah, you can't be using, you know, pan dulce or something like that. Right, and you can't yeah. be intoxicated. Like the, the the example they show in the you can marry vattle you can you marry vattle while intoxicated? And you know, let's just face it some some bachelors uh, or some you know groomsmen they 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 start liquoring up the the groom before the wedding, and you know, uh, before you know it, he's. He's, I was going to say 390, the, the co- <laughs> he's, he's drunk and, you know, and, uh, so you, you can't give, um, he can't give his, the, 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 say yes to the, to the marriage because he doesn't have all his faculties there. That's right. Bingo. So you nailed it. Now, technically the mass itself is not a sacrament, but the Holy Eucharist definitely is. And it's during the celebration of mass that a priest consecrates bread and wine, which become the body of Christ. Uh, the consecration is far and away the most critical part of the Mass, and it's absolutely vital for a priest to do it right. That's chiefly because, at, as the Catechism repeatedly explains, the Mass is a sacrifice. Um, and it quotes uh, Catechism of the Catholic Church, 1353, in the institution narrative, the power of the words and the, the action of Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit make sacramentally present under the species of bread and wine, Christ's body and blood, his sacrifice offered on the cross for all. 
You want to do the next one, Jess? What, what, once for all, yeah. Oh, once for all. Paragraph 1365, because it is the memorial of Christ's Passover, the Eucharist is also a sacrifice. The sacrificial character of the Eucharist is manifested in the very words of institution. Quote, this is my body which is given for you. And, quote, this cup which is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Close quote. In the Eucharistic Christ... In the Eucharist, Christ gives us the very body which he gave up for us on the cross, the very blood which he poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. And I'm glad they got that right. Uh, it took a long time for them to, to correct that because uh, it said for for decades, for all. And it was finally Pope Benedict that stepped in. Oh. And he, he went back to the Greek and said it's for many. Well, yeah, because the, the, the synoptic gospels, all three of them say for the many, you know. So. Yep. And in Latin, the word multos has always meant many and not for all. So, I mean, that, and that was a sticking point for me when I was making that transition. I get it. Yeah. I remember we used to talk about it. Because, yeah, yeah, you're changing the words of, of scripture. And, yeah, we know that Christ died for all, but he, but only, but not all would come to him. They, they yes, that's the distinction. So, so the many are the ones that are going to partake. To come to him. Right. Yeah, that's a good distinction. Yeah, he died for all. That the Bible says that we got it, but but not all will come to him, and we know that from his very own words. Many are called, few are chosen. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so the Eucharist is it's a, thus a sacrifice because it represents, makes present the the sacrifice of the cross. Because it is, it's immemorial because it applies its fruit. Christ our Lord and, and God was once and for all to offer himself to God the Father by his death on the altar of the cross to accomplish there an everlasting redemption. But because his priesthood was not to end with his death at the Last Supper on the night when he was betrayed, he wanted to leave to his beloved spouse, the church, a visible sacrifice as the nature of, of man demands by which the blood bloody sacrifice which he was to accomplish once for all on the cross would be represented its memory perpetuated under the end of the world and its salutary power to to be applied to the forgiveness of sins we daily commit and that's catechism catholic church 1366 ruben this is a very jewish notion right here what you just read that section and that comes from the council of trent by the way that was cut and paste right from the council of trent mm. um where, where Ruben, where you read where it says uh, the, the Eucharist thus is a sacrifice because it represents or makes present the sacrifice of the cross. The Jews call that zakar in Hebrew, Z-A-K-A-R. Zakar means to make a past event present through prayer. That's what zakar means. For example, the Jews will tell you that during their Passover liturgy, uh, the Seder meal, as the, as the man of the house is reading or the rabbi is reading the Exodus story of the Israelites leaving Egypt, through the power of God in the hand of Moses or, um, or the intercession of Moses, they believe the Jews say, we're not just reading the story. The Exodus becomes present to us. And now we are with Moses. We are walking out of Egypt into the promised land. So the Jews have, we Catholics borrowed this understanding about making the past present from the Jews. And we know this is, could happen because God lives outside of time. Amen. Because God lives outside of time. Uh, he he can take those things that for us are time bound and make them present. Amen. All right, good stuff, Jesse. We'll be uh, we're right back on the other side of the break. Don't change that dial. Now, back to Jesus nine one one. If this call is not an emergency. 
Dial 888-526-2151. Jesus 911, two-man car. We're on Soul Patrol talking about uh, the mass and what makes it invalid. So, uh, Jesse, I think you're you're up next, and we, we're... Oh, got it. Okay. So, uh, anyway, a little technical difficulties, but... Uh, so we were just quoting from the uh, Catechism of the Catholic Church, 1366, and 1367 says the sacrifice of Christ and the sacrifice of the Eucharist are one single sacrifice. The victim is one and the same. The same now offers through the ministry of priests who then offered himself on the cross. Only the manner of offering is different. This is divine sacrifice, which is celebrated in the Mass. The same Christ who offered himself once in a bloody manner on the altar of the cross is contained and is offered in an unbloody manner. So you're, you know, Christ brings the mass to us or transports us to him, to his, to the mass. And we are, are there present. And so it's not a bloody sacrifice anymore. And, uh, you know, I, I think our, our Protestant brothers will, will say, well, Christ died once for all. Yes. See, they don't understand that we agree with that. And this is the same sacrifice. We're just representing it. The priest is, uh, is representing it in an unbloody manner under the appearances of bread and wine. And um, so anyway, uh, practically speaking, what is necessary for a man to be a real sacrifice? The answer is unequivocal, a valid consecration. It's necessary for the priest to say the correct words of consecration as they are written in the approved liturgical books. Uh, to use uh, um, proper matter, which is unleavened wheat bread and natural, unadulterated grape wine. So you can't use, you know, Coca-Cola or you can't, uh, you know, you can't be using, uh, you know, pita bread or yeah, it has to be the proper unleavened wheat bread and um, unadulterated grape wine. And the uh, <clears throat> there's another uh article that this author has written entitled the the eucharist and the sacramental validity where uh he goes into that and uh part two and uh and to have the intention to do what the church intends when performing this consecration if a catholic priest follows all these points correctly the mass is valid if he doesn't as a rule it isn't and this is a two-part article the second part is going to go into the intentionality of the priest now that's where it gets a little dicey because there's no no way that you can clearly uh, determine whether the priest has the tr- the right intention. You can see the externals uh, from the way he's he's manifesting it, the way he's he's uh, he's he's his actions, but internally, uh, yeah. So. Ruben, let me let me jump in here. I'm on the I'm on the phone here. I might okay. Skype if something's going on. I guess we got little demons that don't want me to get on. But uh, okay. I know you you just read the sec you read the second part over there about yeah. the Eucharistic sacrifice. Yeah. Here's one more thing I want to mention. This is also this is also a uh, a very ancient Catholic teaching. In, in Greek, it's called anamnesis. Anamnesis is a Greek word, and remember, the New Testament was written written in Greek. Anamnesis means to make to make the past present by prayer. That's what it means. In other words, as you pray, as the priest prays to God, who lives in the eternal now of sacred time, as the priest in the persona Christi says the prayers of Christ, the past is made present. That's called anamnesis. 
Uh, again, it's, it's a Hebrew concept. It's a Greek concept. In Hebrew, it's called zakar. In Greek, it's called anamnesis. And I'll, I'll make it simpler. Ruben, you've probably seen, I, I've watched uh, most of the series. I was entertained by it. My kids told me about it. It's uh, The Flash on, uh, it's a series called The Flash. And I think, uh, you know, it was kind of entertaining. I don't know if you've watched it. It's on uh, one of the Prime Chime Chime, Prime or something like that. Well, it was interesting. Okay, here, uh, Richard's calling me up. Uh-huh. So, yeah, the, uh, never saw The Flash. Okay. Yes. You, have, you haven't seen it? No, I haven't seen Let The Flash. Uh, am I on Skype? Can you hear me on Skype? <laughs> no, I can't, we can't see you either. So, But we can hear you. We, okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. I'll just, here's what I want to mention. I think what's kind of interesting is that in the in the in the series Flash, which is like I think it's on Prime or something like that, one of those one of those uh, platforms, you see that he runs so fast. Netflix. Netflix. It's on Netflix. He runs so fast that he go he could go back in time because he runs so fast around the world that he goes back in time, oh. and he's able to kind of change something from the past because the Flash is so fast, his Marvel comic hero, that. He, 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 as, as, as he's running around the world, he, he's actually able to go back in time because of his speed. Well, think about this. If Marvel Comics, if they're able to make a character that can go back in time and change the past or modify it, God, who lives outside of time, God, for him, everything is one eternal now, one eternal present. So God simply just takes the sacrifice of Calvary, which is for him ever present, uh, and he just brings it to our time in our parish and all and all altar at Sunday Mass or whenever you go to Mass. And God is able to do that again because God is faster than the Flash. God can go. God can run faster than the Flash. And if the Flash can go back in time, God can do this. Uh, you know, with with in, with a blink of an eye. Yeah, you keep saying Flash, and I I keep thinking about we arrested people for flashing Jesse. So. <laughs> no, no, it's a Marvel comic. It's actually pretty entertaining if you watch it. It's on Netflix. It's on. Uh, I need to. What's it on? I need to. What's it on? Flash. Flash. It's on Netflix. Netflix. Okay. All right. Got it. Got it. So continue, Ruben. Okay. Yeah. Go ahead with the article. So good stuff here. Yeah. Yeah. Good stuff, Jesse. Um. So that said, uh, true. Definitely true that the other parts of the mass are important. Uh, we're not saying that they're not right and. And should be performed correctly and with care because making the the effort to ensure that liturgical rites are done correctly is an important aspect of giving proper worship to Almighty God. Put differently, it's hard to argue that when you're worshiping your Creator as He deserves, if you're performing the various elements of the liturgy haphazardly and with indifference, there are, however, countless types of liturgical abuses which could occur during Mass that nevertheless would not render the Mass invalid using incorrect Mass readings for the day or changing the offertory prayers or skipping the Kyrie to mention only a few possibilities would obviously be wrong and should not be done, but such wrongs would not and in and of themselves render the Mass invalid. Jesse, would you... Let me make a comment. Okay. I think what, what you had just read before is, is I think it, it, uh, it makes this very understandable. The consecration, the Eucharist is the sacrament the Mass is the liturgy. These are the prayers. But the high point is the consecration. The consecration must be done right, uh, you know, using the, all the kind of, you know, matter, form, and intention. Now, what the, the canon lawyer is saying here, if the priest, again, omits 
you know, reads the wrong reading or, or omits the Kyrie or something, that's, that's not the essential part of the Mass. Of course it's important. You don't want to do that, especially intentionally. Mm-hmm. But what, what, is, what is the sacrament, it's not the Kyrie eleison, it's not the penitential rite, it's the consecration. I think that's, what, that's the argument that this canon lawyer is making, Ruben. Right. But by the same token, um, we can't be minimalists, you know. Uh, oh, of course. When we, we, yeah. we find a mass, we find a parish, if they're, if they're doing these things and they're constantly ad-libbing and changing the, the rubrics and, you know, the, the, the liturgical prayers and, you know, it, it's, it's very distracting for one, but it's also uh, disheartening and it's, 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 it's going to destroy the faith of your children. So, I, you know, I would be out of there and uh, if I, I try to talk to the priest and if that doesn't work, then uh, I would probably be gone and it's pretty tough to get to the bishop these days. And uh, so, but you want to go to a holy mass. You want to work yeah, Christ absolutely. Yeah, in the manner in which, you know, he wants to be worshipped. And you know why the reason is, is because when the mass is celebrated in a reverent, in a holy manner, guess what? Uh, you're more open. You, you're more open to receiving all the graces that come from the mass. When a mass is irreverent, you're there saying, I can't believe you just did that. I can't believe they're singing that song. I, so what happens in an unholy liturgy, you're not predisposed to receive all the graces that God wants to give you because, again, you're distracted, your emotions are triggered, you're, you're, you're arguing, you're, and you're having a conversation with yourself. I can't believe they're singing that song. That's, you know, that, or, or I can't believe, he just missed that prayer. All that distracts you from receiving everything Christ wants to give you. When the Mass is celebrated with reverence, you just sit there, and it's like, it's like I tell people, it's like sitting under Niagara Falls. You just sit there, do nothing, but just receive. Yeah, yeah. Um, so we, yeah, we do, but we, we want to, to get the most out of it. As, as Pope uh, St. Pius X says, don't pray at Mass, pray the Mass, you know, so... We have to engage all our all our um, you know intentions and all, all our movements, even our our posture. You know everything. We pray the mass along with the priest and and uh, to get the most out of it. And um, so good stuff. Uh, let's let's go on. So the art the the author says that you know just because they're you're singing a a, a Christmas carol instead of the Gloria, it's a it's another good example that. Uh, such an action is, is of course, not in accord with rubrics and thus would constitute an abuse, but it's entirely possible for the priest at such a mass to consecrate the body and blood of Christ correctly, validly, all the same. And uh, and then, um, so the, the the guy, Luke, who uh, asked the question, gets his answer there, right there. Let, let me mention something that, in the general instruction of the Roman Missal, which gives the guidance for the Novus Ordo Mass, it does say in paragraph 22, it says the celebrant, the priest, is not allowed to change, add, modify any prayers of the Mass. I mean, don't get me wrong, that's, that's violated in a lot of places, but it's in the documents of the general instruction of the Roman Missal. I mean, even simple things like the priest coming out and saying, good morning, everybody. That's not part of the Mass. Yeah. He should come out even in the, in the Novus Ordo Mass and just start off in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Or coming, comes out and saying, how's everybody? Good morning. That's improper. Hey, is there any birthdays? 
hey, uh, is there an anniversary? That's improper. That's not part of the mass. If you want to do that outside in the foyer, in the hall, with, with the donuts, that's fine. But that's not part of the liturgy and the general instruction of the Roman Missal. Even in the Vatican II Novus Ordo Mass says, you can't do that. But unfortunately, Ruben, a lot of times, uh, just a lot of the priests, they just run roughshod over the actual teachings of the church. Just for example, look at Father James Martin. Right. Case in point. I, right. I think I'm back on. Can you hear me on? Uh, yeah, I can hear you and I can see you. Yeah. Okay, so I'm back on. So I'll try. And so, uh, yeah, you're right, Jesse. And I, I believe uh, the the bare minimum words are, this is my body, this is my blood, you know. And I, I've seen priests that uh, on the night he was betrayed, he, to, he, you know, he gave to his friends. They start changing the words <laughs> that's in the that's in the books. And uh, it, it, it bothers me, you know, it, you can't concentrate like that when you hear those, those things. You know it's not right. Um, so we're going to pick this up on the other side of the break. We're going to keep, keep going with this on, on the what makes a mass invalid. Now. Back to Jesus 911. If this call is not an emergency, dial 888-526-2151. We are back, two-man car, Jesus 911 on Virgin Most Powerful Radio. And um, I think uh, we, I, I think we're off right now. We've got, uh, we got no picture, but I'm going to go ahead and... and uh, I'm going to point out that uh, some of our listeners are on, on the chat are posting uh, that uh, those of you who are in California, the police call your California state assemblyman today against Buffy Wicks, satanic infanticide bill that legalizes abortion uh, until seven days after birth. It's being discussed today. And that is that's so demonic. That's so demonic that, um, you know, we need to do something about it. We need to call our uh, state assembly let them know this is wrong. This is crazy. We, we, we can't live in a world like this. Imagine, you know, uh, you know, uh, our lady can't hold back. I just the, got back. Ruben, yeah. I just got back on. What, what are you talking about? I'm just what, saying uh, that, uh, you know, in the chat room today on our, on our, the Facebook um, live, yeah. they're pointing out that, uh, you know, for Californians to please call your, California State Assemblyman today against oh, Buffy Wicks satanic infanticide bill that legalizes killing your baby seven days after birth. It's being discussed today. You see how 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 the left keeps pushing the envelope. You know they went okay the first trimester and then they go second. They just keep kicking the football down the the field. Same thing with gay rights and the, the, now it's um full blown. They they've got control of our schools and. This is what the left does. They you give them an inch, they, they you know uh, give them a concession, and they just continue plowing through. And un- Ruben, let me just mention that any any Catholic that votes for the Democrats has lost his mind. Yeah. You have lost your mind, and you've lost your faith. And any Catholic that votes for the Democrats right now is jumping over the trap door of hell. This is the party of Satan. They're not even the party of like, oh, another, another political party that has different views in America. No, Reuben. The things that they're pushing are straight from the pit of hell. These are Luciferian ideas. And any Catholic should run for the hills rather than ever vote for a Democrat again 
based on, on their party platform and the things that they're pushing right now in American society. Yeah, I wish that uh, the church would bring back excommunication, to tell you the truth, Jesse. I mean... <laughs> well, it's there, Ruben. They just don't have the moral... Uh, a lot of our prelates have lost the moral muscle to, to exercise it and use it. Mm-hmm. And guess what? Let's just be honest. They're going to pay for it. Yep. This power was given to the apostles to protect the flock from wicked men. And many of these successors of the apostles are not using it. And guess what, Reuben? They're all old men, these bishops. Older than you. You and me are old men, and these guys make us look like youngsters. Mm -hmm. These guys are days and weeks and months away from stepping into the judgment seat of Jesus Christ, and they're going to step in as cowards? You know what the Bible says in Revelation chapter 22? Cowards and liars shall not enter the kingdom of heaven. Amen. I, I can't even imagine for the life of me, Reuben, any bishop who went along with the Democratic Party platform mm-hmm. and covered up for them and didn't use his power as an apostle to excommunicate them, standing before Jesus Christ at their judgment? This is why St. John Chrysostom and many others, but he's not the only one, St. John Vianney, they say that many prelates will go to hell. Right. The majority of why? our, the majority of our, our Be- prelates, the leaders, at least, that, that we hear from are they're ingrained in the, the Democratic Party, and uh, they're pushing that. Whole Which is a party of death. It's a party of Satan. And, and kudos yeah. to Bishop Strickland, who I, I read yesterday that uh, oh, he, he asked for uh, he asked for Cardinal Marx in Germany to step down, to resign, because he's he's claiming that the, um, you know, gay uh, gay rights, gay, gay marriage is... It's it's legal. It's, it should be fine. It should you know even though the Catechism of the Catholic Church says you know it's intrinsically evil. It's uh it, it, you know there's there's different def, definitely it's not of God. And uh, he's saying well that, that that's he's saying that the Marx is saying that it's not uh, it can be changed. You know right. so unbelievable. Yeah, Ruben, if uh, if the papacy was open to election by the laity, Bishop Strickland would be the next pope. <laughs> Or, or guard, uh, Archbishop Vigano, you know. Yeah, there's a few. Yeah, there's a few people that definitely will be runners up. Yeah. Hey, but let's get back to this article. Did you already share about uh, that cardinal that was in a in a in a prison? No, not yet. But prison. Yeah, no. So we're oh, at the point. Powerful. Yeah, we're at the point yeah. where liturgical norms, violations of liturg- liturgical norms, they occur for reasons which are sometimes entirely understandable. So. And so through the course of Christian history, there, there, there have undoubtedly been thousands of instances where Catholic priests who were imprisoned for their faith or were otherwise trying to operate it in extraordinary circumstances celebrated Masses which were, through necessity, chock full of liturgical irregularities, but nevertheless were valid and surely pleasing to God. Stories exist, for example, of a Catholic prisoners in Soviet gulags who carefully fermented their own wine and managed to bake their own unleavened wheat host, which a priest prisoner then consecrated in a clandestine liturgy, often whispered in a bunk bed in the dead of night. Needless to say, these priests had no missal or lectionary, so they couldn't possibly have read the proper readings and gospel of the day. They had no vestments, no gold patent or chalice, and no consecrated altar uh, upon which to say their mass. Technically, of course, they were violating the liturgical norms, but this was obviously due to the exceptional circumstances and was not the result of sloppy liturgical indifference, since, like most priests, these priest prisoners could recite the words of consecration from memory. 
they managed nonetheless to say valid and surely very beautiful masses. That's, that's a very powerful argument, again, which, uh, which shows the fact that they intended to say the Mass properly, even though they didn't have the books in front of them. But God saw their heart and saw their circumstances, and God, I'm sure, accepted the Eucharistic sacrifice. Here's a classic example. It talks about Venerable Francis Xavier Neguayan Van Thuan. He died in 2002. He lived from 1928 to 2002. He was the Vietnamese priest who became coadjutor Archbishop of Saigon in 1975 when the city fell to communist forces shortly thereafter. He was arrested and spent nearly 10 years in solitary confinement. Wow. Of, and what was his crime, by the way? Being a Catholic priest and preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, that was his crime. Mm-hmm. That wasn't, you know, some pedophile or some bank robber or some mafioso. This guy went to jail for 10 years for preaching the gospel, what you and me take for granted oftentimes. Yes. The article says uh, that his, 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 his conditions were truly appalling in solitary confinement. He later described how he managed to say Mass. He said, this is, this is Venerable Thuan, he says, When I was arrested, I had to leave immediately with empty hands. The next day I was allowed to request in writing the things I needed most, clothes, toothpaste, I wrote to my addressee, please, could you, could you send me a bit of medicine for my bad stomach? The faithful understood what I meant, and they sent a little bottle of wine for mass, which they labeled stomach medicine, as well as some hose sealed in a flashlight to protect them from the humidity. I will never be able to express my immense joy every day with three drops of wine and one drop of water in the palm of my hand. I celebrated mass. By the way, that story is in a book called Five Loaves of Two Fish on page 35. This man here should be canonized a saint in the, on the fast track, Ruben. Mm-hmm. That's a beautiful story, yeah. Jess. And so, so he, we, uh, we're, we're talking about the, um, you know, the, the, you have to have the right, uh, the, the right, the, the, to be a valid mass, you know, you have to have the right, you know, the, the bread and the, and the wine. So he was getting it. So he wasn't making a, a he wasn't making the concession there as little as, as right. he used. He was his, the patent was his, you know, um, was his hand. And that Chest, I guess. Or amaz- or amazing. Hand, yeah. So it should be clear to all that. And uh, his, his, he, he had the right intentions, by the way. He had the right intentions. Oh. And he probably had, his form wasn't probably perfectly correct because he was trying to memorize the prayers. <clears throat> but his intention was definitely there. Yes, sir. That's right. It should be clear to all that the Archbishop later, Cardinal Thuan, would very much have wanted to say Mass in full accord with all the liturgical norms. And he failed to observe them simply because he couldn't. But there's no question that his mass was valid. And you know, there's other saints too um, that that have been locked up. You know, and um, in, in China there was there's priests like like this. Uh, uh, there's priest uh, Venerable Thuan because you know uh, Chinese communist China was uh, imprisoned a lot of our uh, our prelates there. So there's uh, there's a lot of stories like this and and um but this is amazing this tells us gives us a, a good uh, understanding of uh the validity of mass so then let's turn to to Catherine's question which is more sweeping than Luke's and for that reason the answer is more complicated the opinion the first person she mentions is we have already se- already seen here the correct one the second one is partly right but dangerously misleading as we just discussed mass can certainly be valid even if a part of the mass is omitted Assuming obviously that the omitted part doesn't violate the consecration itself, 
but is not at all accurate to assert that if all the words are not said correctly, Mass is valid as long as intent was pure in the celebrant. Go ahead, Jess. As is the case with the administration of any sacrament, having the right intention is vital, but it isn't everything. Imagine a very elderly, sickly, or exhausted priest celebrating Mass alone, who through human frailty gets mixed up and says the words of consecration of the, of the chalice, which he meant to consecrate the host. His intention might be as pure as the driven snow, but the fact remains that he did not consecrate the bread into the body of Christ, and thus he did not say a valid Mass. So the point that the canon lawyer is making is the essential, uh, the super essential part of the Mass that has to be said right is the words of consecration over the bread and the wine. Again, if you're in prison and, you're in, and, and you have no books in front of you, you may not get the other parts of the Mass precisely. That doesn't invalidate the Mass. But what, what, uh, again, what makes the Mass valid, because that's the sacramental part of the Mass is a consecration. And again, <clears throat> a lot of priests that have been in Russian gulags and Soviet prisons and in Vietnamese prisons, God knows their heart and probably in, in their in their heroic attempt to try to celebrate the Mass according to the norms of the Catholic Church, I think God is going to uh, overlook the fact that they didn't cross their T's and dot their I's. That's right. My opinion. That's right. So uh, we've got one more segment. We're going to finish this uh, this article on the other side of the break. And uh, finish that down. You want to hear the, the finish. Now, back to Jesus 911. If this call is not an emergency, dial 888-526-2151. Jesus 911. You stay ready, you don't have to get ready. We're talking about in, in validity of a mass, and uh, we're pretty much through the article. Uh, Jess... Uh, Ruben, let me mention something. Let me mention something real quick about the... I think, again, there's a lot of places where God looks down upon... For example... Priests celebrating in mass during World War II, the Korean War, the Vietnam War, on the hood of a of a jeep, on a tank. Yeah. Say they didn't have the, the books in front of them. They were trying to do it by memory. I'm sure it was a valid mass in the eyes of God. Also, think about the movie The Cristeros. Uh, a lot of Catholic priests over in Mexico that were celebrating the mass in the desert, you know, on top of a boulder, wherever they can make a makeshift altar, you know, trying to stay away from the federales. Uh, I'm sure not all of them had the Roman Missal with them, you know, uh, and and a lot of them probably tried to do it by memory as they were on the run from the Federales. I'm sure it was a valid Mass as well. So, again, these are exceptional cases. It doesn't mean that a priest should go to Mass and do it sloppy and not have the, 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 the Roman Missal in front of him. Uh, all, things, all things being equal, obviously, we want to attend a Mass that's reverent, and the priest uh, had, with, with the proper intentions to say the Mass, with the proper form, that means the proper words and the proper matter, that means, uh, that means bread and wine. But uh, who knows, Ruben, we may come to a day in this country under Klaus Schwab and Yuval Harari and the globalists and the Great Reset people, uh, which the Democrat Party is part of, it, and, uh, and, and uh, you know, the uh, European Union and all these woke nations, we may come to a point, Ruben, where the mass may go underground. What we experienced in the last two years 
may be a precursor of the mass going underground. And I'll tell you one thing, I'll be happy to just to have a priest so the mass does go underground like it has gone underground in Mexico and in England and China and many places. I'll be happy just to have any priest, uh, you know, show up in a barn or somebody's uh, basement or a cave to celebrate the Holy Mass. Yep, I would too, Just uh, So it's good to have uh, priests as friends, man. Keep them close. <laughs> you need them. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, Jess. So, so, um, you know, I we didn't. I I don't think we saw a lot of these shenanigans going on um, in the the pre-conciliar rites, but the post-conciliar rites, you see a lot of ad libbing and uh, those things going on. So that's that's why people have these questions. They they say something doesn't seem right, right? Um, but um, but really, uh, to defending the validity of the mass, you know, it's the constant teaching of the of the church that. In the reception of the sacraments, grace enters in the soul in two ways, versus ex opere operato, by virtue of the work performed. The second is called ex opere operantis, which is to say by virtue of the disposition of the recipient. So one participates in good faith in a false sac. If, if one participates in a false sacrament, uh, they can indeed receive grace, but only that grace that comes from his own good disposition and never that much more ineffable grace which derives from the sacrament itself and um so it's been argued that providing the disposition of the recipient is proper the deficiencies of of a sacrament are supplied by the church such an argument is is patently false and and this is this is from uh uh, kum swami uh you know have you read uh rami kuro swami he's an md you know he's written a lot of a lot of stuff and he, uh, yeah, he, yeah, he says that it's for it implies that no matter what the minister does, the church automatically makes up for the defect. It would also declare that all the Protestant rites as being of equal validity to those of the church. It is possible that the Christ himself may make up for the defect in the case of those who are invincibly ignorant. But the church can in no way make up for such a defect as A.S. Barnes, the admitted authority on Anglican order, says God, we must always remember, is not bound by the sacraments which He Himself has instituted, but we are. So, yeah, that 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 just that's a good thing to understand. That's a good point to understand that you know, if if even if it's uh, you're you're you've got some shaky uh, a priest that's doing some some shoddy things, you know, you you can still receive grace as long as you're disposed. You've got a good disposition 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 to receive it. Yeah. Yeah, Ruben, let me give an example of disposition to receive grace. I think it will be something that people can understand. Let's say you have an abuelita, a grandma, who's been part of the Legion of Mary for 40 years. She gets to Mass about 30 minutes before Mass starts. She puts on her veil. She takes out her rosary. She does a rosary before Mass. She does a lot of her devotions before Mass. Uh, She's practiced, you know, know, maybe, uh, you know, she's fasted for several hours before Mass. She's predisposed to receive all the graces that God wants to give her at that Mass. Now we have another guy that just gets in there 10 seconds before Mass is starting, and all he's thinking about is I've got to get out right at the top of the hour because I've got to get home and start the barbecue. I've got to cook those hamburgers. I've got a bunch of guys coming over uh, with a case of beer. We're going to watch the football game. I hope this priest doesn't go one minute before. If he does, I'm going to have to just do the Judas shuffle. So, so you got A and B. Both of them sit, and, and let's just say both of them pray the Mass, okay, they, and, and for, for, for an hour, for that holy hour. 
who, objectively speaking, is more predisposed to receiving the graces that come from the Mass? It would be A, because the awalita, the grandma, actually prepared herself. She came early, took time to, to compose herself, just drown out all the problems of the world, do a rosary, say some of her devotional prayers, so she's predisposed to receive more of what God wants to give us during the Mass versus a guy that ran in 10 seconds before Mass started, and he's looking at his wristwatch and saying, this priest better not go one minute over because I got guys coming over 10 minutes after Mass with beer and with, uh, and, and with hamburger meat, and I got to be there ready to cook it. So the whole time he's thinking about, okay, uh, what am I going to prepare? Uh, you know, I got to get out of here in time. I hope there's no traffic. Who is objectively speaking going to receive more graces from that mass. Right. It's simple. It's A. That's what it means. That theology that you just read from the Council of Trent, Reuben, that's what that means. This is why the church says that when going to mass is important. Obviously, that's the third commandment of the Bible. But going to, the, to, to mass to get everything that God wants to give you, you have to be predisposed. Right, right, 100%, Jesse. And uh, so that's something that you can control. That's something that you have to, like, you know, you were just saying in your example, prepare yourself for what you're going to, where you're going. You know, it's, you're going before the King of Kings, man, the, the author and the finisher of life, the, you know, the Alpha and the Omega. You're going before the, the throne. And so realize where you're going. You know, if you were going to a wedding, you know, you'd, you say, oh, man, we're going to be uh, participating in this this uh, ceremony, the sacrament. And you'd be uplifted and, and just think you're going to something far, far greater, far greater than that. Than that. You're, you go there prepared. Um, and like you said, that's why we should go there early. That's why we should say prayers before, you know, prepare ourselves for worthily reception of the sacrament. And um, and that that's... That's true, and and even though, like we've mentioned, the priest, if he is in, in a sin, if he's in sin, you know, God God's going to judge him. But unworthy ministers, um, they still validly confect the the sacrament, and um, it cannot it cannot impede the efficacy of signs ordained by Christ to produce that grace of ex opere operato. But the ex opere operantis that you just explained. That's uh, that's a you know, we have the the ability to control that by being yeah. disposing ourselves properly. Amen. Let me read the last paragraph here of this article. It says, as we saw in canon law and consecrating the whole, the Eucharist, a priest who realizes that he made such a serious error should then say the words of consecration over the bread and wine as applicable so as to fix it. But one of the priests genuinely fails to catch his mistake, and there's nobody present to point it out to him. Catholic theology and canon law together will logically conclude that he might not be at fault at all in the moral sense, but his good intention doesn't make the Mass valid. One important takeaway here is that if you attend a Mass where this sort of thing happens, and the priest clearly doesn't realize what he just inadvertently did, say something. The validity, the validity or not of the Mass you're attending depends on it. And you aren't being disrespectful by politely interrupting the priest to point out to him this vital fact. So now we can see that there's lots of things that during Mass can conceivably be done incorrectly or inserted, omitted, 
without necessarily affecting its validity. Now here it is. Deliberate liturgical abuses are objectionable to be sure, but fortunately, they don't automatically render a Mass invalid. And the last thing I'll say is this, is that the Holy Mass is either going to be the bread of life or it's going to be your death warrant, A or B. If you receive Holy, uh, the Holy Eucharist in a state of grace, that's your ticket to heaven. That is your entrance to heaven. If you receive the Mass in a state of mortal sin, like many Democrat politicians do, especially those in the White House, unelected Joe Biden, guess what? That's going to be your death sentence. You're eating and drinking your own condemnation. Yeah, you're right, Jess. The only thing this, this, this first part of this article didn't address, and it could come up, is that the church uh, says that there has to be a proper minister, or the minister is a priest. He must be validly— We're going to do part two on Thursday. I think it's on Thursday. Okay, validly ordained, yeah. So that uh, we're going to be talking about the intentions on Thursday and the valid intentions, and that's some good stuff— uh, there's a good story that I read, and uh, we'll talk about it on Thursday. So you gotta you gotta tune in on Thursday to finish up this this art- article on uh, what makes a vet mass invalid. And um, but we should be looking for you know those those masses that are that are holy. There, there's there's not a lot Man. of sac there's not sacrilege going on, and so and that's for me personally. That's why I attend you know the the traditional form. So extraordinary form. Jess, Jesse has. Uh, Pope Benedict would say. Yeah, well, that's the mass that's been around for 1,600 years. And, and I'll tell you, it's very difficult to tinker with that mass. And I'll tell you why, because it's regulated so tightly. The priest is facing God. And so it's hard to start tinkering with the, with the liturgical words, the words of the liturgy, when you're facing God the whole time. When you're facing people, it's easier to tinker with the words of the liturgy because, again, oftentimes the priests feel like they have to perform to keep the people's attention. That's right. When you're facing God, you don't have to perform. You don't have to entertain anybody. You know that you're facing God, and so you feel like Moses. There's a sobriety that comes into you, and you want to make sure that you do everything precisely. Amen. All right, Jess. Well, God bless you and your uh, your parish mission over there. And uh, I know. At, Thanks, bro. Yeah, at, uh, at our parish mission. Hold down the fort, bro. Okay. Yep. The parish mission will be here, Hold Father down the Bill fort Casey. Over in California. All right, we will. Yeah. So, uh, we've right. been listening to Jesus 911. Stay tuned for Hands On Apologetics with Gary Mishuda from the Midwest Command Center. Jesse, uh, God bless you and your uh, endeavors over there, and we'll be praying for you. Just keep the faith, pray your rosaries. Passion Week. Oh,